Welcome to episode 16 of Kept Secrets. I am your host, Nikki Rothrock. This podcast is a way that I try to help others who have experienced childhood sexual abuse, neglect, or trauma. I will discuss my personal experiences and treatments that helped heal my broken heart and soul. My abuse started as early as five to six years old until I was 15 and by more than 20 different perpetrators. There is a long history, but I've been able to create this podcast in hopes of helping one person. I hope that person is you. Hello, everybody. Thank you for coming back. Um, I think I did get the episode number right this week. It's number 16. So we have about three more after this one, and then it'll wrap up season two. So I'm doing, um, because I'm going to be going on vacation again. (laughs) Don't be judging. So tonight's episode is about how to recognize the sexual grooming of a minor. Uh, you can hear Archie already in the background. He's, this is the second time I've tried to record this episode, by the way, because he enjoys making my life miserable while I'm doing this because he can't be quiet. (laughs) Okay. So selecting a victim in this first stage of the grooming process, the offender identifies a potential victim by selecting a minor who is vulnerable, either because of psychological emotional, psychological or emotional reasons, or because the family circumstances, such as a lack of supervision, family discord, or living in a single parent home. Next, they're gonna gain access and isolate the minor. The next stage involves gaining access to the minor either through working or volunteering in youth serving organizations, or by gaining the trust of the minor's guardians. Once they have access to the minor, the perpetrator often tries to separate the minor from peers and caretaking adults so that they can begin the grooming process in private. This may involve driving them places alone, taking them on outings or overnight stays, and or emotionally distancing them from family and friends. The next step would be developing trust with the minor and other adults in the minor's lives, such as caretakers or community members. In this stage, the perpetrator works to gain the trust and compliance of the minor and significant adults in their lives. It should be noted that that in this part of the process, the perpetrator is often also grooming the minor's family, the organizations in which they have been accessing the child, and their community in order to gain their trust so that they can have easy access to the minor without suspicion. I have to get more treats for the dog. Uh, Let's see. The next step or stage will be desensitizing the child to sexual content, content and physical contact. This stage usually happens right before the abuse occurs. During this fourth stage, the perpetrator prepares the minor for abuse by desensitizing them to sexual content, content such as showing them pornography and nudity and increasing non-sexual contact or touch. Maintenance behaviors following the commission of the abuse. This last and final step occurs once the abuse has already happened. The purpose of this ma- these maintenance behaviors is for the perpetra- perpetrator to be able to continue the abuse and avoid detection, often by manipulating the minor into feeling guilty or responsible for the abuse or causing them 
to fear the consequence of, of disclosure. One key takeaway from this study was the development of a list of observable traits and behaviors for each stage that the experts agreed were part of the grooming process as shown below in my notes. Stage one represents the traits, stop, represents the traits and characteristics of the victim, while stages two through five represent the traits and behaviors of the perpetrator. So tonight I thought it would be a good idea to kind of give you an idea of what this situation would look like. So I'm gonna tell you a story about myself <laughs> um, and how my main perpetrator, Tom, was able to follow these stages extremely close. Um, so a lot of people would call this textbook because it follows these guidelines or these studies pretty closely. So in victim selection, it has the minor is compliant or trusting of adults. The minor lacks confidence and has low self-esteem. This dog is driving me nuts. The minor is lonely and isolated. The minor is troubled. And the minor is needy. Make sure there's not any other ones. Oh, there are. Okay. So the minor also feels unwanted and unloved. The minor is not close to parents, and parents are not resources for them. The minor lives with a single mother slash needs a father figure. The minor has lack of suspicion. Now, living with a single mother, I suppose this could happen as well with single fathers. Um, perhaps the father is a little bit absent because he's working or he's just not emotionally available for the child. So maybe friends of his or even female friends of his could come in and start grooming the child. So in my situation, I was nine years old when the abuse started with Tom. I'm going to tell you a small story about how my summer started. So my mom worked a lot of hours. She delivered newspapers, so she had weird hours. Um, Tom moved in with us. I was told to help with the, the rent or the mortgage payment at the time because my mom bought this home. It was like a sheriff sales home, so it wasn't too expensive. But it was, it was enough that her having two kids, she needed that extra income and help with the house payment. So Tom moved in with us. Now, I did not know Tom very well, and neither did my brother. I have memories of him um, before he lived with us. And I do remember, you know, just having that little schoolgirl crush, kind of. But I also, I, my mother was very very absent for me emotionally. She was more concerned about working and she was more concerned about, um, at the time I, did, I don't think her and Tom were dating. I don't know. I've been told differently by, by multiple people. So I'm just going to say they weren't because at that time when he moved in with us, he had a bedroom upstairs. My brother and I had our bedrooms upstairs. Neither one of our bedrooms had doors on them. His did. 
My mom's bedroom was downstairs and she had a door. So it kind of made sense with him being an adult, having a room with a door, but you know, thinking about um, having a young daughter and even my, my brother, he was, so I was nine, he was five and he was living in this, the same environment that I was. And so I remember, well, I'm just saying as an adult now, I would never set my child up like that. I would never put her or him into a situation, a sleeping arrangement where there was a man or a woman. Like in this situation, Tom was a single man and he was young. So he was, let's see, I was nine. So he was 25. Um, so he was young, but that still, I guess, doesn't give him the, the title of an abuser, but as a mom, I would try really hard to protect my kids. So I wouldn't set them up in that situation. My kids' rooms would have doors on them and there would not be another adult that is a non-family member living on the same floor as them and at night. So that's just my personal opinion. But so during the day, and I've talked about this in other podcasts, but during the day, during the summer, because this is the summer of 1988, um, I was getting ready to go into fourth grade and I was, I had the worst self-esteem you know, I was chunky. I, I, I was a big kid. I was developing a little bit faster, um, which that's not an excuse to allow a grown man to have sexual feelings or relations with me. So I will try really hard to just give you the facts and not give you my tone or my personal opinion on everything now looking back because I don't want to discount the way that I felt at that time. So, at the time, I was a very sad, needy, oh, Lordy, I was needy. I needed so much attention, and I think it's just because I didn't really get that attention from my mom. My dad, I saw him at that time, I think it was every other weekend, and I did get attention from him, and it was typically positive attention. It was my step-parent, my stepmother, that would give me um, negative feedback on things. Uh, She would make comments about the way I dressed and things like that. Now, keep in mind, my hygiene was terrible because my mother did not take time to show me how to bathe properly. She didn't show me how to wash my hair properly and wear clean clothes because she just was not present for me. So this list of the victim selection. So the minor is compliant and trusting of adults. I was very trusting of adults at that time because I was searching for attention. So if any adult showed me attention, I was their friend. I would, you know, I would do whatever. Um, The minor lacks confidence and has low self-esteem. Yes, that would be me all the way. 
The minor is lonely. Absolutely. I wasn't really isolated, but then again, I guess I was. Um, it didn't seem like it at the time, but during the day when my mom would go to work, she would typically take my brother with her. So I was left home and my responsibility was to wake Tom up. I think it was around 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning to make sure that he made it to work by one. Um, so for Tom, and I don't know why all of a sudden I'm feeling a little bit of um, pause and wanting to talk about this, but in the morning time, when I would go to wake him up, he would become more aroused because it was when he was waking up. And I, at the time, I didn't understand what was going on, but he would wake up and he would come downstairs and the TV would be on in the background and he would ask me to make him a glass of tea, iced tea. Sometimes it was instant, sometimes it wasn't. So I would go make him the tea. Well, he would sit on this little love seat that my mom bought at a garage sale. It was like this tiger print, ugly, ugly little love seat. So he would sit on that, typically just wearing blue jeans, ripped up, stained up from being in the garage and working on race cars and cars. Um, they would be, he would just be wearing his jeans and typically no socks, no shirt. So he would be sitting there waking up, watching TV, which was usually the Andy Griffith show or I Love Lucy, things like that would be on in the background. And I would sit so like needy in a way that, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? What do you need me to do? Because I felt like, you know, I had his undivided attention, so I craved that. So I was willing to do whatever he wanted or needed. So after a few days of that, there would be him sitting on this little couch or love seat, and he would ask me to come sit next to him and watch TV with him. So what this does is it desensitizes me because he would put his arm around me. He would touch my hair. And typically, like at that time, I didn't think anything of it. I thought that it was normal because other adults, you know, they would do that with children, you know, like brush their hair back out of their eyes or whatever, you know. And, but the way that he touched me made me feel grown up, I guess. So it made me feel wanted. Um... So, during that first summer, I can vividly remember him the first time he showed me his penis. And I was like, what is happening? You know, I mean, I was nine years old and there was a grown man showing me his, his body and I was just kind of weirded out by it but then it led to do you want to touch it and things like that and then eventually it became oral and then I don't know what happened but he this all happened that first summer and it all happened very quickly so it went from touching 
to oral. And then all of a sudden there was um, the first kind of penetration was anal penetration. And um, as a nine-year-old, that was extremely painful. Um, and I'm sorry if this is disturbing to listen to. I mean, maybe if you want to fast forward a little bit, I understand. But this stuff happens. This stuff happens a lot. So for me, that first summer, most of the time it would end in like an anal penetration for him to climax. And then that was it. But one morning there was there he slipped i guess and in that moment he took my virginity and i remember jumping and i remember he was very concerned with how i felt um he tried to comfort me a little bit um but after that, it became more and more his choice of abuse toward me, which is just vaginal penetration. So getting past all of that, that is he gained access of me by being alone with me because my mother trusted him. Um, she trusted him. To, to not abuse me, I guess. Um, he gained access. He manipulated my family. He manipulated my mother. Um, he engaged alone with me. You know, I, I mentioned before that I would go with him on his paper routes because apparently he couldn't do anything without a nine-year-old with him. Um in this abusive relationship, there was a lot of separation for me emotionally. I grew up very fast that summer. Um, the trust developed a, with other people. He appeared charming and nice and likable. Um... He has, so this, this stage three trust development, it says has insider status, good reputation or pillar of the community. He was kind of a scumball, but people who knew him at the bowling alley thought he was all right. You know, he was nice. Um, he had a decent reputation there. I don't want to call him a pillar of the community because he wasn't, but... He was affectionate and loving with me. Uh, that summer, I remember uh, I remember feeling very like on the playground in fourth grade. My best girlfriend, her name was Christina, Chrissy. She recent she passed away a couple of years ago. Um, but she and I would sit, I don't know why I told you that, but <laughs> maybe I used her real name because 
I knew that this this wouldn't have bothered her either. But that summer I would sit um, on the playground instead of playing. We would sit and have story time. And I would vividly discuss having sex with a man. And she was like, how do you know all of that? And I'm like, I just do. (laughs) Um, Now, I would not use Tom as the male that I was in this story with, but I would use another adult man um, in my mind. It wasn't, it wasn't ever Tom, but um, I'm not really sure why this is giving me such a hard time today, but feeling a little exposed, I guess. I've never really gone into great detail about like the first time that I saw a grown man's penis or the first time that I lost my virginity and it kind of feels weird so moving along (laughs) he gained access and isolation of me now he didn't take me on an overnight stay or outing until much later in the abuse and We actually went to an out-of-town race, and for some reason, my mom let me go, and, you know, the whole way to this out-of-town place, we had our pickup truck, and there was a trailer on the back of it with the car, and then behind us was his mom and dad, and behind them was his brother and whoever else was working on the car. The entire way to this place... Um, there was a lot of oral sex, things like that at his request. And I don't understand why it was not questioned by his parents or anyone else. Why are you going on an overnight trip um, with this man who is, I don't believe him and my mom were married yet. So... Long story short, on that night, he ended up wrecking the car and he was so ticked off that we ended up driving back home that night. Now, he had promised me that we'd be able to sleep in the same bed together and there would be a lot of intimacy. And so when we didn't get to do that at the hotel, I felt very, I was kind of upset about it, actually, because I didn't want to go back home. Um, My dependency on him had become so great that I wanted to participate in this stupid fantasy. Um, I call it stupid because, and there I am discounting the younger me and how I felt. But for him, it was just getting what he wanted. So anyway, um, so he gave me a lot of attention. This is also about the trust development. He gave me a lot of attention that he may not have given my brother. And you might hear my dog in a minute because he's going after my cat. Um, The attention that I would get would be like sitting next to him on the couch. Sitting at one end of the couch and he lays down and he puts his feet on my lap. Okay. Well, I would get extremely mad. I would be so upset if my mother sat there. Because I was like, this is my spot and 
I don't want you to be in that intimate spot. Even though it wasn't an intimate spot, it was literally just me sitting on the, the other end of the couch with him putting his feet on me. I felt like that was my territory. And when she got, when she did that, I got angry. So this one says he gives, that the abuser gives the minor compliments. Mm, I didn't really get very many compliments from anybody, especially him. He kind of went the opposite. Later, um, he would tell people that I was a whore and, you know, just to make me look bad in front of others. Um, there was no, no texting or emailing back then, so no phone calls, really. We literally lived under the same roof. So engaging in childlike activities. So he was very immature in some ways like he liked to play video games and I can remember the first time that the Nintendo came out and we bought one and he would sit there for hours and hours and play Super Mario Brothers so to tell you a small story about the Mario Brothers that theme song or that little that whole thing is a huge trigger for me if I hear it whew I will stop and I'm like, okay, it's 2023, I'm here, I'm present, that is not where I am right now. And I literally have to bring myself back to the present because that song had such a big part of, or that tune had such a big part of my, of this one particular year in my childhood. So an example would be, uh, this one particular night, we were playing Nintendo, and my mom left to go to the store, which is about a block and a half away from us. So she just walked. Um, while she was gone, um, I was doing things to Tom, and the next thing we hear, because the video game was paused and it was quiet in our house, the next thing we hear is the chain on the ceiling fan light in the next room where she flipped it on and Tom jumped up really fast and got himself gathered and turned the game back on and she's he he's like what are you doing and she's like well they didn't have what I wanted at the store and I had to come back home and get something and if she had walked three to five more steps she would have seen what I was doing but she didn't He's lucky she didn't because I do believe that she probably would have lost her mind. But it was little things like that. He would get her to leave for a few minutes and then there would be a sexual encounter. And then when she comes back, it's done. So um, he, he was very childlike in some ways. He liked to watch the old cartoons. And actually last night when we were watching... Uh, the Super Bowl, there was a commercial about Disney. And there was this old Disney, like, I want to say it was like the old Mickey Mouse. My husband said it was called something else, sailboat something, I don't know. But anyway, that old black and white cartoon was something that Tom would make me watch. He would go to the video store. For the younger generation listening, they had these stores where you go and you'd rent videotapes and you would keep them overnight and you'd watch them and then you'd return them the next day. 
So he would go and he would rent these old cartoon videos and we'd have to sit and watch them. So like the Flintstones and Popeye and Tom and Jerry, which I actually like Tom and Jerry. That is pre-Tom in my life. Um, there were other ones too that I don't really remember. A lot of the 1960s, early 70s cartoons. Um, so he would watch those. But he would also do some desensitizing for me. And he would go to those video stores and he would rent pornography. And my mom would be out delivering newspapers and he would have me come to the living room and he would have me watch these videos with him. Um, basically, it was kind of like, see, it's natural. These people are doing it. We can do it. Not a problem. So that was part of the desensitizing to the sexual contact and the physical contact for me. Um, giving minor rewards or privileges. So, and this is also under the trust development. Um, I was trying to think of examples for this. And I remember in like, I think it was like 1990, he told me that if I did something that he would buy me this new cassette tape new generation a cassette tape was before cds <laughs> cds were before mp3 players and mp3 players were before apple music or spotify so he he told me he would buy me this cassette tape and so i did what he told me to do and then he procrastinated on buying the cassette tape and i it kind of pissed me off i'm not gonna lie so i was like look you told me that you would buy this for me if I did this for you. Now, why are you not doing this? And eventually, he'd get mad enough and he went and bought it. It was like $10 or something. Um, the last one on trust development, he would provide the minor with drugs and or alcohol. 100%. I had my first cigarette when I was like 10 I was allowed to drink beer when I was with him. Um, he didn't do drugs that I know of. I mean, there was never any marijuana or, or anything like that. He was a caffeine junkie, so he would drink coffee like nobody's business. He would drink Mountain Dew all the time. Um, so there was never really drugs. It was just cigarettes and alcohol. So stage four. So, so far we've talked about... The victim selection, which he completely did that. He found my mom, who had a, a young daughter, not really super attractive. So there would be um, no question that I, I was easily accessible. Um, then, <coughs> excuse me, uh, he gained access and isolation, manipulated my mom into thinking that he was like, helping me air bunnies he was like helping me by spending time with me and just got her to trust that he was taking care of me um the trust development we just went through that so the next one is the desensitate desensis <laughs> desensitizing the sexual content content and physical contact 
So ask questions about the minor's sexual experience or relationships. So that really wasn't even something that came up until I got into high school. And then he started really being possessive, listening to my phone conversations, uh, when boys would call me, things like that. Uh, talks about sexual things they themselves have done. Yes, he would tell me things that he wanted to do or things that he had done. Uses inappropriate sexual language or dirty jokes. Absolutely. He, so I can remember my aunt told me after I revealed the abuse had happened. She said that my humor was a little bit more mature. <laughs> like I knew things that maybe I shouldn't have known at that age that were like dirty sexual jokes or whatever. Or somebody would say something, I'd be like, ha, ha, ha. I laughed because I knew what they were talking about. Uh, teaches the minor sexual education. This is true. Uh, he basically taught me a lot. Use of accidental touching or distraction while touching. I mean, he didn't have to be accidental. He just would do it. Watches the minor undressing. Um, that never really happened he would come into the bathroom if I was in the shower. Um, he would sneak. So like the bathroom that we had when I was, when the abuse first started, you could come in the room by two different doors. So the living room was one door and then he could go back through his bedroom and come through the backside of the bathroom. And he did that quite often. So for a very long time, after I was about 12, I would lock those doors. I would get in trouble for doing it, but I would do it. Or I would wait until the very last possible second um, to get undressed, jump in the shower, be really fast, and then get out and get dressed. So that is how he would kind of be a creeper <laughs> um exposing their own naked body to the minor and ex for example changing and showering um he never really did that he would just pull his pants down in front of me i mean it was just he he didn't make it a game or anything like that showing the minor pornography or magazines videos images things like that i discussed that already seemingly innocent non-sexual contact Tickling, hugging, sitting on that. Okay. This one was a big one because he liked to do what he thought was horsing around and he would get extremely rough to the point, to the point of, I don't know how my mother did not tell him to stop. One thing he would do is take I don't know if anybody would know what a clothes, uh, clothesline pin or um, it would be like a wooden clothesline pin, clothespin and he would put those on my nipples because he thought it was funny. And he would do this in front of people. That's what pisses me off now. He would do it in front of my mom. He would do it in front of his guy friends because he thought it was funny. Then, on top of that, he would tickle me, but between my legs, 
very close to the vagina area, very, a lot of pressure to the point of getting bruises. He would um, pinch me in my thighs. He was very rough with me. And actually, it wasn't just me. He would do these things to my brother. He would always pinch his penis, pinch his testicles, and twist. Um, he would he would take rubber bands because my mom had newspapers because she worked for newspapers. She had a lot of those little rubber bands everywhere. They were freaking everywhere. They were in the cars. They were in the house. They were in, I don't know, they were everywhere. So he would take those and he would flip me with them a lot. To this day, if somebody tries to flip me with a rubber band, I like will lose my, my mind because I'm like, no, we're not doing this. Um, for my brother, he would always take the rubber band and shoot it like at his penis because he thought it was so funny. I, as an adult now, I want to punch him in his face, Tom, because I should have noticed not me, the parent, my mother, or any of the other adults in the situation should have known that this was abusive behavior. He was humiliating us in front of his friends. Um, trying to think of what other things he did. Oh, wet towels. He would snap those towels at us. And they would hit our legs or our arms or even our backsides. And they would leave welts. And he thought that was so funny. I don't think it's funny. I don't think it's at all funny. I think it's abuse. And I think that if a parent sees another person doing this stuff to their child to the point of the child is either crying or, you know, it's just inappropriate behavior. Don't let it happen. Um, some of the other things desensitize this minor to touch, increasing sexual touching. That's kind of a given. Excuse me. Because... Three to five times a week, I was having a full-on sexual relationship with this man. Um, it was early in the morning, very, very late at night when my mom was gone, or after school, if he would get home early. He would even come and pick me up from school early for a, quote, doctor's appointment, and he would take me home and have relations with me before my brother would get home. Um... He would go as far as taking me to his parents' house, which lived in a different county. Um, while they were gone, I don't know if they were out of town or what, but he was there working on a vehicle, and he took me with him. I sat inside watching TV. He came in, had sex with me, went back outside a couple hours later, come back in, have sex again, and then he would leave. He was very, very much in control of a lot of things for me. I was just a whipping post, basically. Um, okay, so stage five, post-abuse maintenance behaviors. This is what I want you guys to really pay attention to. So, tells minor not to tell anyone what happened. 100%, everybody who abuses children, that's what they tell them. Don't tell anybody because I'm going to get in trouble and we don't want to get in trouble. This is our special time. Blah, blah. Don't. Kids don't fall for that because it's not true. He encourages secret, secrets and secret keeping. 
I say he because I'm, I'm talking about my abuser. It could be a he or a she. Um, we had a lot of secrets. Um, he would tell me things about my mom, uh, things that I, as her daughter, have no business knowing. Um, he would play us against each other. So therefore the relationship that I, the feelings that I had for her were jealousy, hatred. I didn't, and she didn't seem to mind because that meant she didn't have to basically deal with me. She would always push me off on other people. And in this case, it was Tom. Tells the minor, I love you and you're special. All of the time, all of the time he would say that he loved me. Or if, if I didn't want to do something, he'd be like, well, does this mean that you don't love me anymore? Blah, blah, blah. Um, gives the minor rewards or bribes not to tell. Says by not telling, they will per avoid punishment. Sorry, dog, dog treats. Um, Tom liked to use guilt for me. Um, he knew that I knew how much my mom worked. And his guilt for me was, if you tell her I'm going to have to leave, and if I leave, she's going to have to do all the work. And by that, I kept quiet. Now, in the beginning, the, um, the attention that I got from him was something that I loved. The sex was just part of it, I guess. Like, I just had to do that in order to get his attention. And it didn't, it wasn't enjoyable at all. It was just mechanical by that point. Like, I was just like, okay, this is what I have to do to keep him interested in me as, you know, a friend or and back then girlfriend or whatever, I would think. Um, he had a really bad habit of, he didn't really give me rewards. It was more of the bribe. Like, I was telling you about the cassette tape. Would you just stop? Wine, wine, wine. Uh, persuade the minor the sexual abuse is acceptable or normal behavior. So this part for me, as I got older, now the abuse started when I was nine, ended when I was 15. Um, it was nothing for me to go to him and tell and, and pursue him sexually because that is what I was trained to do. I was conditioned to do that. So it is, it was nothing for me to go to him and, and because it was normal. It's what happened between us. Um, provide the minor with misstated moral standards regarding touch. So when I was in the fifth grade, a year into the abuse, we had a good touch, bad touch seminar in school. One of my friends at that, after that seminar, she told the teacher that her stepdad had been molesting her. And I was sitting there like, yeah, it happens to me too, but I'm not going to tell anybody because then he'll have to leave. And, you know, I like the attention, so I'm not going to say anything. I really do regret that. <laughs> I wish that I would have said something. Um, but I honestly didn't feel... Um, 
I felt like I was the one that was going to miss out, I guess, if he got in trouble and had to leave. I was going to go back to being a wallflower in our house, and I wasn't going to be getting any other attention. So I hope that makes sense. Um, I am... I was very conditioned. Um, makes the minor feel responsible for the abuse. This is something that is extremely popular these days. Well, if you didn't dress like a whore, then these grown men wouldn't want to have sex with you. For a long time, I actually thought that that was the case. But as I grow older... Sure, girls should maybe dress a little bit more, uh, a little bit more respectable for themselves. You know, there's no reason why they have to wear shorts that show their butt cheeks at 12 years old. There's no reason for that. They're 12. They're not 22. So all I'm saying is it's the adult's responsibility to back away. Just because this young girl has a push-up bra on and, you know, she's looking really old and, or a lot older and she's looking sexy or whatever, that does not give you the green light to take advantage of them, period. And a lot of times people will say, well, she dressed like a whore, so she must have been a whore. Well, that's not the case. This person or this child was obviously trying to get attention. Because girls who dress like that get attention. Now, some people may disagree with me on that. That is kind of my conservative view on things. Um, <laughs> I always tease my best friend. I'm like, your husband's going to make your girls wear turtlenecks and jeans every day until they're like 30 because he doesn't want them to show any body parts. I just thought that was funny. Um uh, the last one is threaten the minor with abandonment, rejection, family breaking up if they tell. I kind of told you about that. Where he put that on me that my mom would have to do all the work. And then he would be gone and I wouldn't have that attention. So while many of these behaviors and of themselves may not be indicative of sexual grooming... Parents and caregivers should start to become suspicious of potential grooming if they observe the following in an adult spending time with minors. I'm going to kick my dog. <laughs> Not really. Uh, the first one, clusters of above behaviors, multiple behaviors from various stages, which I will link this um, article on my Facebook post just so that you guys can go to it because I kind of rambled and I wasn't trying to ramble I just wanted you guys to know that a lot of this stuff is 100% true this is what happened in my situation um the second one frequent use of some of the behaviors always says or texts I love you hugs and tickles the child a lot just showing them a lot of attention the most severe behaviors are observed ones involving sexual content or touch so, there's a little bit more to this, but for the sake of time, I just want you to understand that if you are around children, if you're a teacher, if you have children of your own, if you're a single parent and you have other people around your children, pay attention. 
Um, one of the things that I remember when I was in the fourth grade and the actual penetration started, um, I had blood in my panties a lot. And it wasn't because I was on my period. It was because of, like, damage to my vaginal area. My mother should have noticed that. But she didn't. Um, I feel like she should have noticed it. If she, I mean, she would wait weeks before she would do laundry anyway. And then most of the time I got stuck doing the laundry. So I'd be doing my own laundry. But... If you're around kids, you know, if you're a church member, always make sure that there's other people around. You know, you don't want to have one-on-one time with a child because anything could be said. Um, But on the other hand, um, just be protective of the child. And it's a good idea to always have a second adult around anyway my husband and I we (coughs) excuse me we teach junior church very 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 small church we have two to four kids every week there's really not that many children but with the way the world is it is a rule in our church that we have to have two like a teacher and an assistant so two adults at all times with the kids Because you want to have that other adult as a witness in case something is ever said. Heaven forbid anything is ever said against anybody that's not true. Um, I do know that a lot of churches, this is where some perpetrators go to gain access. So just keep an eye out and, and watch the children and watch your kids and keep them safe. You know... If they want to spend extra time with this certain adult, there's got to be a reason. Um, If you trust this other adult, maybe make surprise visits. Don't give them the opportunity to abuse your child. If you're working all the time and you need a babysitter, shut up. Sorry, if you're working all the time and you need a babysitter, I understand, but there's got to be, you know, a respectable, I don't want to say a background check, because I know a lot of adults, single parents can't really afford that kind of stuff. Just listen to your kids and believe them if they tell you something has happened. And then do what you have to do to protect them going forward. Um, this particular topic for me, when I was going through my notes earlier and I didn't think it was going to really affect me as much, but I feel like I had a hard time gathering my thoughts. And a lot of that is because I kind of went somewhere in my trauma that I haven't been in a while. So Um, that's why there's a lot of pauses because I'm trying to find the words to say when I'm in my own thoughts. And that's pretty typical when I talk about things, if I go into detail about things, because it's literally almost like reliving it for that moment. 
um, the PTSD is like little flashes of these scenes in my head. You know, that couch and those TV shows that were on in the background and the just looking, like standing in front of Tom and seeing his manhood in front of me at nine years old and not understanding what I'm seeing. You know, those things are hard to process even now. Imagine how difficult it was at nine. Um, I literally just, no act of violence is, is ever acceptable, but man, <laughs> given the chance, you know, like it's, it's just a level of anger toward this person when I think about it and, you know, the other perpetrators, yes, but they were not as manipulative and as damaging to my mental state as he was. Um, being able to talk about it and feeling extremely vulnerable with you guys, um, I guess it's a good thing I don't know who's listening because uh, if I had to make eye contact with you guys, it would be rough. You know, just, and I guess that's the shame still that peeks around the corner every once in a while. But I've worked through all of it. It's just always a work in progress. Um, it's never going to go away. I just have to deal with it. And it's important to shelter your children enough to keep these crazy pedophiles out of their lives because I literally have no memories of what it was like before I was sexually abused because it happens when I was so young. I mean, between five and six years old is when the first incident started. So, and that wasn't even with Tom, that was with other people. So I don't know what it's like to have those awesome childhood memories and not have some sexual memory in there. And that's extremely disturbing to me. I try to look for those other memories. You know, every once in a while, I think about things and I'm like, yep, there's that sexual memory again. It's just, it's tainted my entire childhood. And then my teen years, I was acting out. And as I became an adult, I realized that my behavior was not okay. And then I worked with Beth and tried to figure things out and that's what led me to you guys so um I think I'm gonna wrap things up we're almost out of time anyway but like I said I'll post um this article if I don't do it tonight it's just because I don't have my computer with me um at home but I'll post the link to it in the comments of the the post about the about the episode. So I hope you guys have a good rest of your day, whatever it is you're doing. Please make good choices and protect your children. If you are a victim or slash survivor, 
Don't be blind. Pay attention. Because you know what you went through. And it's your job as a mom or a dad to protect your kids from it happening to them too. And a lot of times that cycle will repeat itself and you won't even know. So I hope you guys have a good rest of your day. And until next time, if you have any uh, topic requests that you want me to talk about, just send me a message on Facebook or um, post a comment in the Facebook group, Kept Secrets, a podcast about overcoming childhood abuse. Um, I am literally the only admin on that group. So it's a small group right now. And it would be nice to have a community there where we can talk about things and share resources and stories and things like that. So if that's something you're interested in, please look me up. Um, it's our duty as adults to keep the kids safe. So let's do that. Till next time.